You're listening to the AG Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Matt Burton. Amen. All right, take a deep breath. Look at the person next to you. Say something to them. Hello, God bless you. Did you bring an extra pen? Are you going to buy a shirt? What size are you getting? I don't know. I was an XL, but the doctor told me I need to keep taking my medicine, which I consider Coca-Cola, so I'm going from an X to maybe a 2X, but that's what? That sounds like you? Okay. So I might buy an XL, and if it looks a little tight, have the double X just in case, but, or I could do like, anyway, let's get on with the notes. All right. We are in a series called, What Do Christians Believe? And so tonight we're going to look at one of the oldest statements of faith called the Apostles' Creed. Did anybody grow up in a church where you said this during worship, during the service? Okay, three of us, four, five, I did. All right, and we're going to say it tonight. So I'd ask y'all to read this with me, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. But what this is, the Apostles' Creed, it puts into words, summarizes biblical principles into almost what you could call a statement of faith. The Apostle Creed, in its first form, they know about it at least as early as the mid-2nd century. It was called the Roman symbol. It wasn't exactly like this. But this form, pretty much exactly like this, can be traced back to the earliest date of 390 AD, a letter that was written to Pope Siricius. I'm saying his name wrong. That's all right. I call my kids the wrong name also. So this dates back even to 390 AD in written form, and so probably even before that. So when we say this right now, we're speaking the language and the confession of Christians followers of Christ from hundreds and even thousands of years past. So let's read it together tonight. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Were you reading it with me? Okay. Well, y'all weren't near as loud as I was when I was in high school in class. We're going to read it again at the end. There are a few differences in different churches where they change one word here or a couple of words there, but we're going to go through this. I want to start first by just looking at the things Christians believe. You can get a group of Christians in a room and find out the things they believe that are alike And with enough conversations, you can find out things that they go, well, I think this is like this and this is like that. What I want to encourage us on is the core beliefs of Christianity. We need to be strong and firm in those things. 
and we want to unite with other like-minded believers, we could find many things to argue about. But can we find the things that matter most that we have in common? And this Apostles' Creed breaks those down for us. It's called orthodoxy, which means authorized or generally accepted doctrine or practice. If there's been a spiritual confessional practice for 2,000 years in the church in all nations, then that's probably something we can all still count on, especially this, which is based on the Bible. So why would they need in the third century and fourth century an Apostles' Creed? Why do you even need this when you have the Bible? Well, let me just tell you a couple of things. There were secular and religious ideas in the culture that contradicted or came against the teachings of Christ. So Christ, in his earthly ministry, three years of teaching, had his disciples. He told them to go into all the world, and they begin to go into all the world. And as we talked about on Sunday, the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, and Peter preached, and 3,000 people heard the message of God, and they came into the church. Well, as the church grew, and as it went out from Jerusalem and out from Rome, then it would go into other cultures, and those cultures would sometimes try to mix their beliefs with Christian beliefs. And so you can see this even in the writings of Paul. But one of the cultural ideas was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism meant that there was a God, but there were also lesser gods. You can Google it and study it. I don't know if you need to know much about it. There are parts of Gnosticism that still invade or are present in our culture. Um, I left some room right there, so if you wanted to take some notes, you could. Gnosticism said that there were pieces of God fallen from the immaterial world into each person and that, those, that people held pieces of God within them. This would be different than the Bible, which would say that we are made in the image of God, but fallen because of a sin nature, and we need what the Bible calls the second Adam, Jesus, to come and live in us to make us alive again. So there was not Gnosticism, and it went against the... Um, teachings of the apostles. It would say that there's a personal spiritual knowledge that a person can have, and that personal knowledge would be above biblical knowledge, or above traditional knowledge, or above the authority of the apostles and what they preached. It means Peter could come to your town and preach, but if you went into prayer and had some different idea because of the the Gnostic idea that you had a piece of God in you, then that would be more important than Peter telling you what Jesus said. You might say, well, I get you, Peter. You heard Jesus say that. But when I was praying the other day, I had this idea. And because I've got God in me, then my idea is more important than what you're telling me Jesus said. Gnosticism was intersecting the church. And so the believers began to put together statements of faith like the Apostles' Creed. Can I just ask you to think a minute? Do you see anything that, like that that happens in our world today? Cultural ideas getting mixed with spiritual or biblical ideas? Please don't shout me down and tell me about them. I already know, and I'm trying to escape all of them for the next hour. <laughs> but do you see the problem with culture mixing in with, you know, some old saying that your great-great-grandmother had that's not biblical, but you kind of mix it in with biblical ideas. This was happening 
as Christianity was spreading around the world. And it still happens today. There was also in this early culture, when the Apostles' Creed was put together, there was the worship of Diana, the goddess. And she was the goddess of the hunt. But she became later a lunar deity. She was considered the one who would protect women during childbirth. And so there was this worship of Diana, and it was in the Roman world under Diana and the Greek world under another name. But people that were involved in the worship of Diana would hear about Christianity, and and some of them would just leave that and just totally embrace Jesus, but others would mix them. And so they needed a statement of faith that I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus Christ, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. There was the Roman imperial cult which means that like many countries, you trace this back, it was in Egypt and other countries, that if you were an emperor, you weren't just a man in a leadership position, you were a god. And maybe even part of your family was gods, and maybe even part of your military were gods. And so there was the Roman imperial cult that they were divinely sanctioned authority, that they were gods themselves demigods and deities. There were teachings going around that Jesus' teachings were true, but there was no, thing at the, no such thing as the resurrection. Can you remember Paul in some of his letters writing that, that you've got to get rid of this idea that there's no resurrection? So even the biblical writers, when writing some of their letters and books, were addressing some of these issues. But there were teachings going around that there was no resurrection, Then there were others teaching that Jesus had already returned and and everyone had missed him. And so there needed to be some consensus of belief. There was still the Jewish law and living by that law, which was awaiting a Messiah. But the apostles were saying, yes, but he's come and he's Jesus. You can remember Stephen as he was being stoned, tracing the history of God through the Old Testament and into what we know as the New Testament and saying, no, but he is the Messiah and the leaders getting so angry because to them it was blasphemy that they killed him with rocks. So there were the Jewish law. There were false gods and idols. Most nations have many gods and idols. Then there was also Marconianism, which was in the second and third century. And it was... uh, it, it, it denied Christ's humanity, and it, uh, it almost separated the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament and condemned the God of the Old Testament. So this is just a few that a quick search will let you know we're in the middle of the apostles trying to spread the news of Jesus Christ. Have you ever tried to spread the news of Jesus Christ? Have you said something that was like just right in your face about Jesus or maybe something a little more subtle. You redirected the conversation to the Lord. Well, you know, somebody said, well, uh, karma. And you said, well, I believe in the law of sowing and reaping. Maybe that's a little subtle. Or somebody goes, all religions are the same. And you said, no. And you just said, John 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And there is no God. I don't know how you approach that. But when you've witnessed about the Lord? Have you met resistance at time? Have you met other ideas? The reason that believers in the early church put together Apostles' Creed 
was because there were other ideas going around mixing themselves in the church. But also, think about the time. Most people were uneducated. Most people were illiterate. Most people had a lot going on. They just went by whatever seemed to make sense. And so you would almost think it'd be impossible to spread a new belief system throughout the world and into other places. But because it's true and the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus said, go into the nations and I'm going to be with you when you go, it did spread. And you and I are here today not believing in Diana or emperors or the idea that there's no resurrection. We believe in what the Bible is taught. And what a blessing that we have a Bible. Hold up your Bible if you have one tonight. Keep it up. I'm seeing who's on paper, who's on phone. Awesome. All right, I want you to look at your version, your, your Bible. I'm going to open mine up to the Bible app. I want you to just look at it. Just open to a page. Oh, I'll tell you what. Let's open to this page. Let's, let's open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'll give you a second. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Who grew up when you took a Bible and it came in a little cover with the handles on it? Did anybody have one of those? All right. All right. I'm finding out who went to what church. Who had a Bible that had the little tabs cut out with the name of the book where you could go, you could find it and flip it? You guys had one of those? Who had it where you had a compartment for your highlighters? <laughs> Me and Ramon, yeah? Yeah? You had it like, all right? Who couldn't have highlighters because your grandma told you, don't you write in that Bible? All right, there you go. Okay, thank God for our heritage. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. We just read that in the Apostles' Creed, didn't we? Didn't it say that somewhere in there? Where is it? Maybe I'm getting mixed up. Oh, no, the last part of the second stanza. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Well, here's one of the verses they got that statement out of. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will come to judge the living and the dead and in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. This is Paul preaching to Timothy, but he wrote it down, so we have it. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Are y'all following with me in your Bible? Verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul wasn't thinking about the year 2022, that there would be false teachers and people that wouldn't want to hear sound truth. He was thinking about next week. He was thinking about there's going to be a Gnostic that comes in here and tries to tell you something different than the gospel of Jesus. There's going to be someone who worships Diana that's going to come in here and try to tell you something different than just the gospel of Jesus. There's going to be Romans that worship their emperor instead of Jesus. There's going to be people that tell you there's no resurrection 
And they're going to come in here. There's going to be other ones that come in here and tell you Jesus already rose again and came back and you were left. He was thinking there are going to be those who are the Jewish faith, but they can't transition over to believing that the Messiah has come. And a number of other kind of beliefs. Paul spent his life in ministry writing letters from the road and from the village and from the prison about how we should conduct ourselves and what the true gospel is. But he said there are going to be people who don't want to hear it. They're going to want to hear a version that makes them feel good. Oh, you can worship Jesus and Diana. Oh, you can still honor your emperor as a God just as long as you keep honoring Jesus as a God. And Paul says, don't put up with that. There are going to be people you've got to know sound doctrine. But he's speaking to some people who had an education and could read and others who couldn't. And there weren't all his letters duplicated for everybody else. There was one letter written to the church of Thessalonica. And if you wanted to hear it, you had to go to that church and let them read it to you. And now look at your Bible. You are holding that in your hand. I'm holding that in my hand. I want the Lord to convict me tonight that I ought to be reading that thing. I ought to be thinking, God, for hundreds of years, people didn't have a copy. And on my phone, I have seven translations. On my computer, I can access the greatest minds, the Christians that wrote down their thoughts and their Bible studies. And I can access it all in a minute. And, 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 and maybe I was watching Will Ferrell the other night. I was. It was ridiculous, but it was, Trinity wanted to watch it. Maybe I was tired and went to bed. I, I really don't want to fuss, but I, I think I need to be shaken a little bit. Paul is preaching. They, they wrote the Apostles' Creed because people didn't have things written down. They wanted something they could memorize and say and confess and know what true Christianity is. And I've got it all right here on my phone. But am I reading it? Am I studying it? Am I letting it? Oh, and here's another thing. I heard Chris C., a pastor in Houston, say this. He said, you know how smart we are these days? I'm putting my own words into what he said. He said, we put the Bible down, and we stand above it, and we translate it. He said, oh, no. He said, the Word of God stands above us, and it translates us. He said, we try to tell you what the Bible means. and the Bible, No, the Bible is trying to tell us what we mean. And oh, if, if, let me tell you something, what Christians believe in these days and the days to come, we are going to have to know the word of God and stand by the word of God and fight for the word of God because there are going to be arguments. What's that scripture that says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, that our weapons are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds and everything that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. There's not an army. There's just a confusing thought trying to confuse us. I heard a pastor the other day said, look in the Genesis. The devil never asked Eve to eat the apple. Never says you should eat the apple. Never says go on and eat it. He just comes with an argument to confuse her and she eats it on her own. And that is coming for us, but Praise God, he who began a good work in us is going to finish it. But man, as the people of God, what does the church believe? What does the church believe? Well, I hope we believe the word of God. And how are we going to believe it if we're not reading it? I want to encourage you, not fuss at you. I'm not shaking my finger. I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will convict us and say something to us like, Matt, if you don't know this, how are you going to make it? 
and that we would be the people of God and the church of God. So here's what the church believed. They believed in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Here's a couple of verses that tell you from the Bible. Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one God, it says here in Deuteronomy. Does anybody else know a verse that we could add to this list about there only being one God? Sir? Did somebody say? Anybody else know a verse besides Deuteronomy? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Meaning, I'm not up here with a whole bunch of gods. There's just me. God's saying there's only one God. But do you know some other verses that say that? Somewhere in Isaiah it says, there is no other God. I know of not one. Okay? I only need one verse, Deuteronomy, but there's more. And I think last week, if you were here, there was the title God on our paper and about 25 verses. So you want to ground yourself in those verses. Somebody's going to tell you, isn't it? Isn't it right that all religions are leading to the same God? It's just like coming up a different side of the mountain. And you want to be able to say, well, some people believe that, but that's not what the Bible says. There is only one God. Genesis 1.1, we says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Is there any pushback on that in our world today? Hmm? Anybody trying to say the world came from somewhere else? What, what did they say? Evolution? Big Bang? Stars exploded? I mean, I don't know what all they say, but it's so interesting. It almost proves the Bible in the argument against the Bible. I mean, who cares where it all came from, you could say, except that God said it all came from him. I mean, really, in 2022, you can almost be like, man, I don't know how it started. I'm just trying to live this 80 years <laughs> and survive. But there's an argument against the truth of God. Okay, so the first thing that they testified through the Apostles' Creed was they believed in God, the Father Almighty, and, through the, and Him who was the creator of heaven and earth. So the statement of faith goes back to the beginning, that there's a God and He's the creator of everything. All right? And I just want to encourage you a little bit from... Some notes I have, not because I'm real smart, but because I have a phone that can access them. <laughs> God, the one true God, is a person or has personal attributes, because it says, I believe in God the Father. So he's relational. He's not what some of the ideas in our world today, just a force, a light, just kind of a like an existence. The universe is talking to me, people say. But God calls himself a father. So he's not like flesh and blood and a dad like we have, but he has the heart of a father. He wants to love. He wants to protect. He wants to provide. So in the Apostles' Creed, Christians believe this, that God is the maker of heaven and earth, but he's the father and he's almighty, which means that he has all power. We call that omnipotence. He has the ability to be present everywhere, Om omniscience, omnipresence, I'm sorry. 
He knows all things because he's omniscient. All right? When they are making the statement, the Apostles' Creed, I imagine a pastor at the local church without paper and notes to hand out, he quoted from some of the scripture. He's the Father Almighty and the Creator. And then he might have read from the Torah, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Or if it was later in time, he might have read from the New Testament that, that about how, or in the Old Testament from the prophets about, like in Jeremiah where it says that he knows everything and he's ever present. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So when they wrote the Apostles' Creed and the people learned it, the one line that says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, it means a whole lot more than just that line. It's confessing a belief, Lord, you're the creator. You're the beginning. You're where it all comes from. Next, they say this statement, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I have written down there, John 3.16. Oh, and I, I, that's not the verse, is it? Okay, mark out my notes. Here's another thing they didn't have, copy and paste. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. When the early believers were saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, they were saying much more than that. They were saying he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is our salvation. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Luke 1, 26 through 38, it's not on the page, but it tells the story of when the angel came to Mary and said she was going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The last verse in that section, she says to the angel, let it be with me as you have said, meaning as God wills it. This statement of faith, the Apostles' Creed, is also... Not only one-liners that means so much more, it also is showing us the gospel. And so it says, I believe in Jesus Christ who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. I have it there, Luke 22, uh, 23, those two verses. It's a historical fact that Pontius Pilate was in Jerusalem. It's a historical fact that Jesus appeared in front of him. Nobody's arguing that. What they're arguing is who he claimed to be and did he rise again? And we know by our faith, the next line, that he was crucified, dead, and buried. Then this next line, he ascended to the dead. It says in some statements, or some say he descended to hell. Um, you can read that in 1 Peter 3.18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made a proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark were being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Peter is saying that while Christ was dead in the grave, his spirit went into hell and rescued people. It says when Jesus died on the cross that same day, many rose out of the grave. It came to life because of his blood hitting the ground, because of the sacrifice that was made. This is not something we talk a whole lot about in church because some, some churches even leave that line out. Like, what does that even mean? 
Well, I tell you one thing it means. You know that he said, I come back and I have the keys. It means that he's over all. He's the Lord of all. He, he can go anywhere he wants and do whatever he wants. There's only one name and he has authority. And I don't know what all that means, but I'm not going to get rid of it after 2,000 years in a confession when there's a verse that says he did it. We don't believe that, that some, some beliefs are after a person dies that maybe, I'm just going to stop right there. It says that Jesus descended and he went after those who were disobedient and were imprisoned. We know the verse where it says, he says, I hold the keys to death and to hell. He's the Lord of all. There's not a, he's not in a fight with the devil to see who's stronger. He's already over him. It says he ascended into heaven and seated at, at the right hand of God the Father. It's important to know that Christians believe this, that Jesus is alive and sits next to the Father in the place of authority. Because many religions look to Jesus and read his teachings and go, oh, he was a good prophet. He was probably even sent by God. But they'll stop short of saying he was God's son and that he rose again. And that's what separates what Christians believe from what other people believe, who Jesus is. So I'm not going to go through each one of these. But what I would encourage you to do, Christian who believes in something, I would encourage you to find other verses that back up these things. Let's look at number 10. It says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. That's in the last paragraph of the Apostles' Creed, the forgiveness of sins. And the verse that I have here is where Jesus says, forgive other people when they sin against you, and your Father will also forgive you. Do you know any other verses about forgiveness? Just yell them out. You might not even know where they are, but what's the verse say? Any verses about forgiveness? If you don't forgive, you could be thrown into outer darkness. It doesn't say where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth or something, okay? What else about forgiveness? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Do you know that verse? That's an important verse, and Christians believe that verse. And you know why it's important? Because the hardest person for me to forgive is me. I still lay on my bed going, I mean, if I'm honest, I have to go, you know, it's a fight to believe that God's really forgiven me. But listen, he's faithful and he's just. I haven't earned my forgiveness. I'm supposed to pay the price for my sin. But why is it just for God to forgive me? Because Jesus paid for it. All right? Now, let me break you down how I can understand it. If I go to McDonald's and my homeboy's working at McDonald's and he gives me a Coke and goes, don't worry about it. That's called stealing because he doesn't own the McDonald's, right? Now, if he pays the dollar eight for the large, well, it used to be for the large, but now because gas went up, Coke's going up. Thank you for laughing. If he pays the price, it's just for him to give me the Coke. But if not, then he's stealing the Coke and I'm an accessory to crime. All right? Okay. And I don't want to be locked up for nobody's dollar and eight Coke, so I don't take it. God can forgive me for my sins, and it's just, I'm not getting away with it because Jesus was beaten to death and hung on a cross to pay for it. So the sin doesn't go unpaid for. It's just that someone else paid for it, Jesus. 
So no matter what I've done, a price has been paid. What I've done, the penalty for it is death. Someone has to die for what I've done. It'll be me. Except the gospel message is that God so loved the world that to be with us, he, had, he couldn't just look over our sin because that'd be unjust. But what he did was he put our sin onto Jesus. And Jesus paid for the sin. And so when I'm in my house in Lockhart in 2022 and I go, Lord, I hate it that I did that. I can't believe I did that again. I want to ask you to forgive me. I'm claiming this verse. I don't even know how you can forgive me. The Lord might say, because look at my son bleeding and dying to pay for that sin. His death is interposed on my behalf. He paid the bill. He paid the price. So the early church needed to understand forgiveness and that it's only in Jesus. And so they would say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I want to encourage you that the Apostles' Creed sums up most of our Christian faith. Now, it doesn't sum up what we argue about, like should you baptize people underwater or sprinkle them? It doesn't get into the things that make Baptist Baptist and Methodist Methodist and Pentecostals Pentecostals and all that. But every church, this is a confession of faith for every believer. And I want to encourage you, no matter how wild you can find on this side that people believe this crazy stuff and all the way over here people believe this stuff, let's go right down the middle and say, what have Christians believed for centuries? What does the Bible say? And I'm going to tell you the Apostles' Creed sums it up real nicely for us. But it's not just like because somebody put it in words. It's because each of these comes from Scripture. The forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. If you're talking to somebody and they go, I don't believe there's a resurrection, then that's not Christian. Because Jesus said, I am the firstborn from the dead. And he's able to make many sons and daughters come to life. So it's a different belief if it's not the belief in the resurrection and in eternal life. Life everlasting. If somebody goes, no, this is it. It's just this life. You get one time to do it, and then that's it. Then that's not what Christians believe. Christians believe that we die, but in Christ we live again and live forever in his eternal kingdom. So be encouraged. Hopefully the verses on this page will help you. I want to tell you one thing that many of the things I read can be, they pointed it out not to be confusing. Number nine says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. And I'll end on this one. Catholic in this form means the universal church. It means I don't just believe that there's a church in Lockhart. I believe there's also one in Luling. It's not saying, as we understand it as Protestants, that we believe in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I'm sure that I have Catholic brothers and sisters that say, no, that is what that means. But there is a meaning for Catholic that means the universal church church. And the communion of saints goes right with it because that means that the same faith that is saving me in 2022 is based on Jesus's grace and mercy that's the same as the Christian that was saved in 1002 and 102 and the year 502. Well, it's not 2002, it's 2022, right? Man, I wish y'all prayed harder for me, but I'll give y'all time. The communion of the saints means that the same grace that's saving us here at all generations is saving the people in abundance on the other side of town. 
and it's saving the people at Mineral Springs Baptist, and it's saving the same people at the Episcopal Church, and at the Church of Christ, and at the Christian Church, and at the Lutheran Church, the same faith at the Baptist Church, that when people say Jesus is the Messiah, and he's the only way to heaven, and I need him as my Savior, and in whatever form they have to, to do that in their stream of the river that's, that's called the river of life, when they confess Jesus as their sin, that's the communion of the saints. Those are my brothers and sisters, even though they might not be with me on Sunday morning, if they believe what Christians believe and they've put their faith in Jesus Christ, then even if they wear slacks and I wear jeans, we're still believing in the saints, the communion of the saints. We've got to believe in the Holy Catholic Universal Church. I've got to believe that the Christians in Russia and the Christians in the Ukraine, there's my brothers and sisters. The Christians in South America and Central America that have put their faith in Christ, I believe in the communion of saints. When we pray, we're all praying to the same God. The Christians, the ones with faith in Christ, even the ones in Luli, I'm just telling you, even the ones, it's going to be hard to say, Bastrop, and I got my friend that's over there right now, the ones in Oklahoma. All right, let's all pray. I joke around. But it's easy to think that God's white and he speaks English and everybody else is going to have to learn it when they get to heaven. Not true. God has no color. God speaks every language. God's eternal. He's from the beginning. He has no beginning and he has no end. And when we get there, there's going to be the communion of the saints. It's going to be every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And God's going to say, this is what my love can do. It can rescue anyone from anywhere, any time period, any country, any circumstance. The Apostles' Creed. Would you stand with me? Let's read it together as our closing. Help us, Holy Spirit. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.